0: Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. All right, so we are in the next week of our series called Top Ten. Now, I want to tell you, when you tell a bunch of people that you're doing a series based on the top ten commandments or the top ten rules, there are a lot of people that would go, "Uh, that does not sound like anything I want to go be a part of, period. Um, Because hearing about a bunch of rules does not sound exciting and so if you're here this morning And maybe you're not a believer or maybe you're new to church. I just want you to hear this up front God initiates his time with us through relationship first and it's the relationship that then enables the rules to exist it's, it's what it looks like when you look at the, the story of how this all came about in, in Exodus uh, chapter 20. The people of, of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years, and yet God was with them. God sent Moses to go and get them out to free the captives from their slavery, and God was with them. They ran through the Red Sea, uh, tr- try to get on the other side of that, um, and Pharaoh chasing them the entire time, and God was with them. He's already in a relationship with them and it is only after that that he gives them these rules when they get to the mountain. And so what we've been saying through the series is that rules do not create the relationship, but it does enable the relationship. Like there are rules in my marriage with my wife that if that it's not it's not what created it, but it is what enables it to be healthy and survive and thrive. And that's what we've been looking at, because what happens is when these guys get out of the slavery, they head off into the wilderness, and they go, and hey, it's been hundreds of years, we've not governed ourselves, is there anything you can point me to that would tell me, what are we supposed to live like? How are we supposed to interact with God? How are we supposed to interact with each other? And God says, absolutely, I can help you, and he gives them his law in black and white, And we're blessed, even beyond that, that we get to look at them, not simply in black and white, but we get high-definition color, that we get to look really beautifully at the commands of God, and here's what we find out when we look at them, is that they're not for our burden, they're not for our captivity. He had released them from captivity, that the rules of God, the commands of God are actually ancient rules for our modern joy. It's for our freedom, it's for our power, it's for the presence of God to dwell in our life, to have the life that God has designed for us. And so we are excited that we get to go through these. Now that sounds really, hopefully, uh, exciting for you, but let's unpack this week's command. Exodus twenty thirteen: do not murder. I, I hope I didn't ruin anybody's weekend plans. <laughs> if... <laughs> If that was on the agenda, please remove it, like, immediately. Um, it's not a good idea. Um, I, but we all have this kind of spirit in us that sometimes want to take people out, right? When I was a kid, there was a saying that people would say sometimes. They'd say, oh, some of those people are only alive because it's illegal to kill them, right? We have that thing that goes on inside of us. Now, before we get into this, I want to make sure that we understand in the Hebrew language, it doesn't simply say, do not murder. It actually translates you, should not murder. That it's talking not generally but it's talking also specifically to you and to me. And that's really timely for some of us because some of you your kids have been out of school for the last several weeks and you are contemplating this. <laughs> Let me tell you where it hits me. Any kid, I don't it doesn't even matter which kid or whose kid. If a kid looks at me today in 2023 and says, "I'm bored." You're this close, that's all I'm saying. Because let me tell you something, you don't know bored. You don't know, you get to walk around with this little thing. You can go on a road trip and watch infinite amounts of movies and play your little video games. I stared at the back of my father's head. That's boredom. There's nothing back there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's what boredom looks like and maybe you're struggling with that Maybe you're struggling with your spouse or your coworker. and this sermon is here today to save you from something So I want to make sure that we understand what this means now some people Are going to say jason aren't there exceptions to this and the answer is yes There are things that you can have exceptions when you're defending somebody else's life those kind of things But don't jump to that we, we tend to want to jump to those moments in the process build excuses in So don't write this off as something that you and I don't struggle with because there's some really powerful stuff underneath this and I do not want us to miss it. Now, before I get into this, I want you to know why this is such a popular thing today and that is today in our world, murder is big business. There is like whole conventions and podcasts of people that listen to true crime drama. How many of you are, don't listen, some of y'all have already looked at each other, like you know, like, we know. matter of fact, let me give you some t- statistics about this group of people. In, the a- in, in one year, the average true crime consumer, the average one, will watch 84 television episodes about true crime, f- read 44 chapters of books about true crime and mysteries, listen to 33 podcasts, and watch 20 movies about murder. And some of y'all right now are sitting there going, oh, I'm on the low end, for sure. Like, I do, I do way more than that. 30%, this is where it gets scary, 30% of that group of people have considered how to correctly dispose of a body. <laughs> 24% have actually thought about how to commit the perfect murder. This is scary. 70% of that group are 25 to 50-year-old women. <laughs> Men? Men? run (laughs) they're coming for us they go to conventions to dig into this you can actually register right now for 2023 in orlando for crime con like that sounds like a wrong thing to register for and yet people go now men let me give you some peace for a minute believe it or not of the women that listen to these 70 percent of those women also say that they actually feel more prepared for something to happen to them because they listen to these shows so many of them it's it's seeking safety which is relieving to be honest <laughs> now in exodus 20 it's not the first time we hear the words you shall not kill or not commit murder it's actually in genesis chapter 9 the first time that we hear these words god's telling them to know and genesis chapter 9 verses 5 and 6 it says i will require a penalty from your lifeblood I will require it from an animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Uh, Don't want you to miss that. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. Let me... Can I clarify what he's getting at here, what he is saying? He could have said, hey, if you kill somebody, here's a certain amount of money you have to pay. Or if you murder somebody, here's what the prison sentence looks like. But he doesn't. Because what he's declaring in here is that human life is precious. That every human life is precious and that there is no earthly equivalent that can pay for it. So the core underneath do not murder is this. You can write this in your notes. Every human life has value every single one. Life is precious. Every life matters. Now, it sounds weird to have this particular commandment be the one that in 2023, it is the most controversial of the commands that we will talk about in all of the top 10. Because we have people that want to argue about when is life and whose life specifically matters. So let's just go ahead and jump in. Let's go to the deep end with no floaties. Anybody with me? Let's just look at this from a reality standpoint. One is a lot of people look and they go, our culture is the enemy. That is not correct. Our culture is held captive to the enemy. And our job is to help, just like Jesus did for us, release the captives from their captivity. And one of the things that Satan does with his captives is he feeds them a bunch of lies. And he convinces them to go in a different direction. And he'll convince them of things like this. To value someone's characteristics over the person themselves. That will elevate a characteristic about somebody over the person themselves. For example, this happens with color all the time. The color of an individual, the characteristic of their color, their skin color, gets elevated above their personhood as a whole. And so we have to argue which colors matter. Now, am I saying that racism does not exist in the world? Absolutely not. We know racism exists in the world. It is an abomination. God hates it. And we as believers should do everything we can do to fight against it at every opportunity. And yet, God is not struggling with racism. God in and of himself loves every black person, and every white person, and every Hispanic person, and every Asian person, but none of it has to do with what flesh tone you're wrapped in. He loves them, not because of the color they are, but because it's you. Because you're his kids. And every life matters to him. If you're battling depression this morning, I want you to know I'm glad you're here and you matter to God. If you disagree with anything I'm about to say in this message, I want you to know that even though we may disagree, you still matter to God. This isn't a political statement, it is a theological statement. See, the Bible says in Genesis 9, 6, we read it, for God made humans in his image. Real quick, raise your hand if you are a human. If you do not have your hand up, we are going to ask questions. <laughs> We matter. We're made in his image. See, all of creation is designed to reflect the glory of God. Every bit of it in some degree. Every bit of creation is designed to reflect the glory of God in some way. It's why you can look at a waterfall and you can go, oh my goodness, that thing is screaming glory to Jesus. It's why you can look at a tree that is changing colors, uh, if you've ever had a chance to see the beauty of that, particularly up north, and you go, oh my goodness, that landscape is screaming glory to God. It's why you can look at the ocean and you can sit there and go, oh my goodness, look at that ocean, it makes me want to worship God. It's powerful. And yet we as human beings reflect God's glory better than all those things. That in us, people are supposed to see the image of God. When they see forgiveness come out of us, it is supposed to point them to him. When they see mercy and compassion towards other people, it's supposed to be a reflection of him. When they see the love that we have for people, even the people that are hard to love, it's supposed to be a shadow of the greatest love of all that gets seen in us and relates to our heavenly father. But it's one thing to walk up to creation and go, Ocean, you make me want to worship the Lord. It is weirder to say that to a person. Like if you walk up to the mall and you go, Oh my gosh, I just watched you walk in and it made me want to just worship the Lord God Almighty. Now, if you're a single guy in here, that is a heck of a pickup line. I would just jot it down somewhere. But the truth is, when we see people, we're supposed to see People made in the image of God. God's glory is revealed in us. And because of that, every life matters. The unborn matter to God. Uh Uh-oh. That could be a controversial statement in our world today. The unborn matter to God. And can I tell you, again, that's not a political statement. It's a theological statement. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, For it was you, this is talking about God, it was God who created my inward parts, who knit me together in my mother's womb, and some of you guys are sitting here right now, going, Jason, tell them, get them. Because we live in a world that doesn't all share that value. Can I tell you something that I want to con- just ask for us as a church to be convicted about? Is that oftentimes, we want to scream these truths as condemnation into our culture, and there are times when we should, but we're also supposed to be screaming that same truth in love towards our culture. See, if the infant inside her matters, do you know who else matters to the heart of our God? The mom who did not want to be pregnant right now. And she also needs to know that she is loved by God. And she also needs to know that we are here for her, to help her. That she needs to have somebody be able to look at her and say to this dear, amazing young woman that God can use her unplanned pregnancy to answer the prayer of a family who cannot have a child because there may be some accidental parents. There are some of you, when you showed up, you surprised mom and daddy. But there are no such thing as accidental children. Not one. Every single one of them has been knit together by our God. Now, can I just go ahead and just give some, some challenge to the church here for a minute? And I hope this isn't true here, but let's be honest, there are probably moments in individual lives where it is, and so I want us to have conviction here. And we know that in the grander uh, kind of scope of the Christian world and the church, this is true. And we have to think about this when we think about this issue for us as Christians, that some young women out there would rather face God's wrath than ours. That they might trust in God's grace, but they're not sure if they can count on grace from the church. And we need to be convicted of that. If you're sitting in here and that's you, we want you to know you are loved. You are a child of God and we are here to help. Now, Satan loves to devalue human life. Because if he can devalue human life, he can take everything away from us. If he can devalue human life, then what I say to you or what I do to you has no value. Which means that what I don't say to you and don't do to you also has no value. And in the process, completely takes us out of the mission that God has called you and I to. That sucker is smart, he is clever. He creates confusion. He creates confusion in people like this. For example, there are academics out there, intellectuals, very, very smart, gifted people. And they will make arguments like this. They will talk about the significance of existence and creation And they'll they'll look at a microbe on the back of a sea turtle somewhere in the world, and they're going to look at the significance of that microbe on the back of a sea turtle. And those same people with that same intellect will argue that our creation was initiated by a cosmic burp. And as such, we're not significant at all. We're an accident. These are two contradictory statements. There are people in our world that are activists, and they are passionate about what they're act activists for. And they will say out of the same mouth, people deserve to live how they choose to live. And also, if you disagree with me, I will kill you. See, this is the, the confusion that our enemy creates in the world that we live in. But there's something about us, there's something inside of us, in every single one of us, that simply knows that there is something deeper, that there is something significant. And it's because God put it in there. We are hardwired for that reality. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the Bible says that God set eternity in the hearts of men that they would all one day seek him. That you, you, If you're a believer or not a believer, every person on the planet wonders what happens after you die. Do you know why they wonder that? Because God put that inside of us. He put inside of us a longing for what happens after this life. And he says exactly why he does, so that we would one day seek him. That's why for all of us, that we can recognize that physical death is natural. None, all of us look and we go, our bodies do not last forever. We understand that physical death is a natural thing. But none of us, even the non-believer, none is okay with spiritual death. There's a part of us that goes, I just inherently believe there's some sort of soul, some sort of spirit that has to go on to something else. The reason that that is there is because we were made in the image of God, and God is an eternal being. We are not people that are alive now who will one day die. As believers, we are more dead now than we will ever be, and one day we will be more alive than we are right now. (laughs) Can I just say that did not excite us near enough? We are one day going to be more alive than we ever are right now. Matter of fact, if you're not a believer, and and, and listen, I'm glad you're here if you're not, but if you're not a believer, this is as good as it gets. But if you're a believer, yeah. Some Some of you figured out where I was going. Good, all right, here we go. So I don't want us to miss this. God loves us, and we are marked with his image. Now, some people would say, well, Jason, if God is so into human life, why did he make hell to begin with? It wasn't made for you. Do you know why hell was made theologically? Hell was made theologically for Satan and his demons and for sin to go and to be destroyed utterly for all of forever. Jesus came to give you a way to never have to experience that. When you choose to reject him, you are choosing to stay attached to the sin that has to go to hell. You have to go to hell because of your rejection. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. His desire for you is for you to know his son and to receive him as your savior so that you can be with him in paradise for all eternity. So, all right, here we go. That's the intro. All right, let's uh, move on. Let's look at a case for murder. The Bible is filled with people who struggle with attempted or successful murder. Esau tries to commit the murder of Jacob for his father's blessing. Saul tries to murder David because he's more popular than Saul is. David later in his life is going to kill a guy named Uriah. He kills Uriah because uh, he slept with Uriah's wife, got her pregnant and didn't want Uriah to find out and write a tell-all book about the king, and so he had Uriah killed. I know there is no violence in heaven, but there is a little part of me because Uriah gets such like a raw deal throughout the story that I just kind of wondered if like when David went to heaven, if they're like, hey, before you come in, there's an octagon over here. Uriah would like to talk. Like I don't think that's going to happen. I'm just saying. That's not theological, by the way, for anybody that's wondering. But what you have is people struggle with this. And then one of our most famous murders in Scripture, Cain murders Abel for his blessing. In every single case of murder or attempted murder in Scripture, it is that somebody values something more than they value someone else. Because every command, every command that we're going to talk about in this series, all go back to the same place. There is one serial killer that is responsible for all the death that comes from disobeying God, and that is idolatry. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He's saying there is something that if you're not careful, there is a sin that is out there in your life that either it will master you or you will figure out how to master it. And if you do not and are not willing to confront this in your life, then you will never master this commandment. So let's ask the, the question. If we're gonna deal with murder, the number one question on all my wife's true crime podcasts, who are the suspects? Are you a suspect? Well, remember last week when we talked about this, if, if you were here, is that the original Old Testament commandments were first steps, not finish lines. In other words, they were giving them a way to begin heading in the right direction, but in the New Testament, we get to see this in full color, where Jesus and so much other scripture is going to expound on the idea of what does it mean not to murder. Because up to this point, some of you guys are going, hey, this is so far the most comfortable one of these messages I have sat in because I haven't killed anyone. And yet, here's what Jesus says, and let's see how we do on this one. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. But if you have heard it said to our ancestors, so he's going to refer to the Old Testament, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Now, if he just put a period there and ended it, a lot of us would be going, whew, golden. But I tell you, everyone who is angry, anybody in here struggle with that? Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults Whoever insults his brother and sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool will be subject to hellfire. Why is it so quiet in here? <laughs> now some might immediately say, Well, Jason, isn't there ever a right time to be angry? Actually, the answer is yes. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, the teaching that we get from the Apostle Paul is be angry and do not sin. So there's two parts to this. One, be angry. Anger, when it's done the right way, is a result of love. When you love something, you are angry when it is threatened. When you love something, you are angry when it is attacked. I love how Tim Keller put this. He said, anger is energy aroused in defense of something good and released against something evil. There's a reason that God can be righteously angry. God is angry at sin. He is angry at Satan. He is angry at those things that would take us away from who he designed us to be. And what that does is prove his love for us. Because he is angry at the things that attempt to destroy us. And it means that we have a right to be angry about certain things. We should be angry in our world about abuse. We should be angry about racism and pornography and sex trafficking As a matter of fact, it is a sin if we are not. It should bother us. It should anger us. When we are attempting to restore people to the way that Jesus intended them to be, that is a righteous form of anger. So it says, be angry, but then it says, and do not sin. God's anger is always righteous. Mine is not. There are a lot of moments in my life that I would really not want to see played on this screen. Anybody else feel that? So let's examine the evidence. Let's find out if one of us or any of us are struggling with this, or potentially all of us are struggling with this. I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions to think about for yourself. The first one is, do you desire another person's harm? Jesus said that God looks at the heart. It's not just the behavior. So there's a lot of people and go, well, Jason, I have thought a lot of things. I have never acted on it. Well, Jesus is gonna ask about the thought not just the action. It's not just, did you do it? The question is, did you want to? And we're not even talking about just physical expressions of of anger where you act out in physical violence. Have you ever wanted somebody really bad to be humiliated? Have you ever wanted them to be the one that didn't get the job just because you couldn't stand them? Or have you ever actively thought, God, I hope they get what they deserve? by the way, we all deserve, because of our sin, death, how many of us would want to pray that prayer on our own lives? Are you a person that replays an argument in your head? Here's how it goes in my life. Let's have a real transparent moment about Jason Collins. When I'm in an argument with someone, hypothetically, and she says, (coughs) she says this, And in the moment, I didn't think fast enough to know the right response, so I did not win. I've lost a lot of in-person arguments to her, uh, hypothetically. But then I go and get in the car, and I go, oh, see, what I should have said was... And then I think, well, uh, I'm going to say this. And then I go, well, if I say that, she's going to say this. Well, if she says that, I'm going to say this. And, and, and you ever get in the car and you get so excited about an imaginary argument, you're like, I won. <laughs> Against who? <laughs> but like, come up with this own idea that I'm going to argue. And have. have you ever secretly prayed for the same fight to come back because you've now got ammunition? <laughs> I've got lines I need to deliver. You've got that argument built up in. What kind of spirit does that come from? (laughs) Have you ever secretly celebrated when someone that you're jealous of is criticized or screwed up or completely fallen? Because now you look better. You ever lump people into a group because it's easier to hate them? Have you ever thought about this tactic? We love to put people into categories because it is easier to hate people at a category than it is to hate an individual Satan loves this tactic He wants to throw people into groups and then just hate a group He can get us to hate a larger group of people and he can get us to wreck our lives and other people's lives in the process See as a church We should always be a place that is willing to tell the truth in love But you know where we have to tell it face to face and eyeball with people that are made in the image of God Even if we disagree with some things, we've got to sit down and be willing to look at someone. Because again, they are made in the image of God. So this is not a question of have you acted on these things. The question is, did you want to? Because there's poison in that. Second question. Do you need to use your words to put them in their place? Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words have power. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight says, the mind of the righteous person thinks before answering. Anybody ever speak too soon? Some of y'all are like, I'm not, I'm not raising my hand for any more of your questions. <laughs> I get it. He says, the mind of the righteous person thinks before they answer, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. Anybody in here ever been a b- blurter? Yeah, me too. You ever wonder if we hear evil words delivered in evil ways so often that we can no longer recognize them? You, you ever get tone deaf to four-letter words? You ever get deaf to things like gossip? Where you no longer even recognize it as gossip because you've been around it so much? Have we ever thought about the fact That sometimes there are people in this room that go, I would never put my hand on a person, and yet we have murdered them with our words. That's what gossip does to people. And can I tell you, in church, let's pick on church folks for a minute, because there are some people in here, somebody has come into your life, and they have confided in you, and they have sought counsel from you, and they have bore their soul to you, and you went to a public prayer meeting and decided to pray gossip. You decided to share private things that were shared with you for prayer in a public forum. And you sat there and you said things like, man, we just want to pray for Susie. She's back with Satan again. Uh, Her and her adulterer, they have had multiple affairs. They have got addictions, and she needs our prayer. No, she actually needs protection from you. She needs to be discipled by somebody and loved. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. (sighs) Uh Uh-oh. For by your words, you'll be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Anybody seriously hoping on that day uh, that God does not have access to your social media account and your texts? Can you imagine? Um... Can I ask you a question? Uh, It says here on February eighteenth, 2023, you posted, I wish she would die. Is that true? Uh, You remember that time you got bad service at Chili's and you went on Facebook and decided to say, hey, let's get this blankety blank person fired because they didn't quickly deliver your fourth Diet Coke? You see, what happened, Lord, was my account got hacked. See, here's the thing I want us to understand, church. This comes out in a couple ways. Anger is hot and momentary. Some of us in this room, something was said, and maybe it took three seconds for somebody to say it, and you would think that's going to be insignificant, and yet it has marked your life for decades. It is hot, it is momentarily, and it is fiery. It can be in a moment, but it has an impact for a lifetime. And can I tell you, I struggle with this. Let me just give a little Jason Collins confession. Anger was a struggle and still is, but way less so. But anger was the major struggle in my life for many, many, many years. When I was growing up, we resolved anger two ways, yell or hit. That was how we resolved things. It's what I knew. And so I did that. And even beginning in ministry, there were times when I would just say words in a way that were not gracious, not kind, not loving at all. And I've mostly resolved all those things, and God has, by the power of his Holy Spirit, given me the ability to do what I could not do on my own. But there are times it still comes out of me. For example, when I am sitting behind a person at a red light, and it turns green, And you're still sitting there because you're watching an episode of The Office on your telephone? God gave me a horn to remind you in that moment, move! And it makes me so angry. Have you ever been shopping or walking through an area or a sporting event or a church and somebody in front of you just stops in the middle of the hallway and has a conversation and they have no awareness of space around them whatsoever? Have you ever been into a sandwich? Sorry. (laughs) This sounds so dumb. But a delicious sandwich. When you bite in the front, everything falls out the back. (laughs) Just me? Have you ever been been a person that lost your mind because of flies? (laughs) Like it makes no sense. You're just sitting there having a normal Tuesday. And the next thing you know, you're like, And you get so mad and you have no idea why. Or sad next to somebody who smacks. Oh, <laughs> yes. Let's just collectively hate those people. <laughs> Y'all were fine with that one. Everybody else was distancing from me on a bunch of the rest of ones and then I said smacks and everybody's like, "Yes, yes, let's get on those people." In the middle of some of those annoying moments, we have hot and momentary bouts of anger and we miss how incredibly painful they can be to the world around us. There's a step even beyond this and it's what I would call contempt and it is cold and it is continuous. It's not about what we do, this is actually going to affect what we withhold from people. In James four seventeen, it says, so it is a sin to know the good that you should do and yet not do it. See, some of us are killing other people with what we say, and others are killing them with what we do not say. See, there is a, a huge correlation the Bible is going to build between our heart and our mouth. And they have a very interesting relationship. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Some of you have met my friend before. This is Mr. Mugg. And this is how most of us go through life. We wake up in the morning, and when we wake up in the morning, we don't go, man, I cannot wait to get angry today. It's not how you start. But it's early, and you're hungry. So you decide, I need something fast and delicious. I'll go to Waterburger. <laughs> Some of y'all just confessed by laughing, that's all I'm saying. So you go to Whataburger and you think, okay, it's not gonna end up being fast. I don't know how you make a breakfast item that takes you 45 minutes. while I'm in a drive-thru line, and you still get it wrong, but it happens. And the next thing you know, stuff starts coming out at me all over a Whataburger drive-thru person. And then I go and I sit in traffic. How dare all those people get in here? And you go to work, and your first coworker that you interact with, oh my goodness. And you sit there and go, it's only 9.30 in the morning. How did all of that come out of me? Because it was already in you. See, we think that anger comes out of us because of all the stuff that's happened out there. And they did it to me. And that's why I got mad. But the Bible actually says that it's an overflow of what was already in you. See, what we have to understand and what we have to challenge ourselves with is that there is pain, there is bitterness, there is past, there is sin, there is shame, and there is guilt. And it comes just roaring out of us Because we have left it unresolved. Because we have failed to bring it to God. We failed to confess it to God. And so we sit there and go, where in the world is this person that is trying to destroy me? And the Bible is going to say, the call is coming from inside the house. It's in you. And that's where you have to address it. See, there are many in this room, maybe you wouldn't say negative things to other people. You wouldn't destroy another person with your words, but you're killing yourself with words all the time. And the things that you say to yourself out loud or in your own head. And what I would tell you, if you want to start the process of healing from anger that leads to a murderous spirit, is that you have to begin to confess those things to God, take it to the cross, and leave it at the cross. Too many of us take those issues to the cross, and then we get up and walk right back into the rest of our life with them. And we say, God, we say, God, take these, handle them. And He goes, okay. And then we rip them right back out of His hands. Take it to the cross and leave it and know that you are a child of God. Question number three, do you turn a blind eye to suffering? Now, some of you are going, whoa, okay, I get the rest of this and how it applies to murder. How is this? Well, James chapter five, verses four through six says, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. The outcry of the harvesters has reached the ear of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the day of the slaughter. You have commended, or excuse me, you've condemned, you have what, church? Murdered the righteous who does not resist you. See, it is also a it is murder, it is taking something when we ignore the needs of others. People will always famously ask, am I my brother's keeper? Remember, at the heart of this command is that all human life has value. And so, no, as a church, as an individual, as a person, we cannot turn a blind eye to suffering. There is a reality that today 27.6 million people are enslaved in our world. There are 829,000 people that die from unclean water every year. There are 9 million people in our world today that still die from hunger. There are 30,000 foster children in the state of Texas, and one-third of those are in the DFW area. We cannot turn a blind eye. We cannot say that we're disciples of Jesus and ignore the people Jesus created in his image. They're people in need. So am I my brother's keeper? You bet we are absolutely we are and your brother your sister's life has to matter to us fourth and final question do you withhold the gospel i'm going to make an argument that there is no greater act of murder than that ezekiel 33:78 78 says as for you son of man I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel, and when I hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. I say to the wicked, wicked one, you will surely die, but you do not speak out to warn him about his ways. That wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold who, church? You, responsible for his blood. God has called Ezekiel as a watchman in his generation. What about us? Let me give you a number. Let me see if this number does anything for you. 4.8 billion. 4.8 billion. 4.8 billion what, Jason? We have 7 billion people on the planet. 4.8 billion of them do not claim to know Jesus. 4.8 billion that if the world were in today would go to an eternity away and apart and separate from God. billion. As believers, we're not talking about a statistic. We're talking about people. Does that do anything for us? Like, can we, can you and I, can we reconcile how we live our life? Can we reconcile our sense of urgency with the gospel? Can we reconcile how we give our time and how we give our money and say we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, I believe, and you guys know this if you've been here for any length of time, I believe we should, we should be passionate about relieving physical suffering in the world that we live in. But shouldn't we be even more aggressive at relieving eternal suffering? See, Satan doesn't want us to respond to this. Satan wants you to hear this and be like, ah, 4.8 billion. I Could never reach all those people. So I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. Satan doesn't want this to evoke a response from you. Satan doesn't want you to hear this and go, I want to do something different with my life. I want to respond to the call of God. Satan doesn't want that. Satan wants you to be convinced that there are two point two. Billion people who love the Lord Jesus, and there's no way those people could reach 4.8 billion, and yet at one point, 12 people reached the world. See, you might look at this and say, we are dealing with the most insurmountable odds of human history, and I believe that instead, what we should be doing is looking and going, we have the greatest potential for the most incredible and most expansive revival that we have ever seen in the history of humanity. And God has put you in the middle of it. Not by accident, but by design. You sit in the middle of it. You are born where you are born, when you are born, for such a time as this. So, what are we going to do about that? Satan wants to convince you of taking on something so much less significant. I'll, I'll illustrate this way, and then I'll, I'll close. But um, I, I struggle with with eating healthy. Uh, shocker, uh, because well, unhealthy food's delicious for starters. But when you eat healthy food, um, it always says stuff on the package. Like, uh, I've, got a, <laughs> I've, got, I've got cupcakes that are healthy cupcakes that, I try to, that, I, that I've bought in the past uh, that, I, that I sometimes eat. And on it, it says, tastes like the real thing. <laughs> like, they, they know they've got to convince me on the package. And, and you eat them, and they are, in a word, uh, gross. The problem with them is that there is some real food in them. And I grew up a child of the 80s. And I was taught that Oreos, Doritos, and Totino's pizza rolls were food. And what happened, because my my parents would be like, Jason, we're having salad. Salad, ugh. don't, Don't miss me. I developed a taste for the fake food. Asparagus is more real than an Oreo. But I had to re-condition and reorder my tastes in order to want the real thing instead of the fake. Satan is consistently offering us a lesser life. And he's convinced it convinced us because it, it has some sweetness to the flavor at first but it's not real food for our souls. God is calling us into something so much better. And Jesus that one day I believe is gonna look at me and say, Jason, what did you do with the one and only life I gave you? And I wanna be able to look at him and say, I stopped eating Oreos. (laughs) And I lived for something that was real. And it wasn't easy and I certainly didn't do it perfectly but I did what I could to leverage my life towards something that mattered your mission and your kingdom don't withhold the gospel Jesus is the only one ever to fully obey the command that we're talking about today and the irony, irony is that we killed him for it our murderous spirit was never more on display than the day we crucified our own king who came to save us. And in that moment, our amazing God did not cry out for vengeance, he cried out for our salvation. And I don't know about you, but that should change us, shouldn't it? Anger and murder is an invitation to one of two things, hate. Or to remember that God did not hate you even when he had the right to. And maybe you're here today and you have no idea what it's like to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. At the end of our service, our prayer team will be at the front. I'll be out and about, some of our staff, anybody else. Man, we'd love to have a conversation with you. If you go, hey, I don't know about the rules yet because I don't have a relationship. We would love to tell you what it means to put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Around here, that's a thing that happens a lot, not because of us, not because of me, not because of Crossroads, but because there is the power of God through the Holy Spirit and his incredible word. And it changes lives. And if you want it to change yours, we'd love to talk to you about that. And the rest of us, I just want to say this, for those of us that do call ourselves believers, is can we just be challenged by this today? That we want to be people who bring life into the world. That our words produce life that the mission of our life is life-giving, and that we are there to support the mission and the cause of Christ. And we would not be people who ever take lightly one single human life in front of us, but we would see them as people made in the image of God who desperately need his love. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we get in it. God, I pray that you would challenge us even right now, God, in this moment of worship as we respond to your word and to your message. God, I pray that you would erupt from this whole place just a heart of worship and gratitude at a God who's done so much for us. God, I pray you would bring us to a point of confession, that we would repent, that we would confess that we have had hatred in our heart for an individual, for a person, for a group for far too long. And today, God, be cleansed from that so that we can go be on mission the way you've called us to be. God, I pray that as we sing this song, you would just do what only you do, that we trust your Holy Spirit to do the work that only it can do. God, right now, we pray that every heart would be open to it. In Jesus' name, amen.